yeah! At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of The Takedown. As always, brought to you by Phone Soap. Uh, go to phonesoap.com, use the code TAKEDOWN for 20% off of your order. Uh, as well as QuickSesh. Go to quicksesh.io for all of your computer troubles. Also, we are selling merch. You can find the link in the podcast bio. Go to Redbubble and buy you some takedown gear. Today's guest is the host of I Can Steal That, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio. He's also the author of a novel called Heist. What is up, Pete Stegmeyer? Hey, how's it going? Nice to see. Uh, nice to meet you. Nice to nice to see you as well. <laughs> it's it's weird doing podcasts sometimes because because like some of the formalities like you generally say like you can't. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, I, I do that a lot. Like same thing with like when I tell like the waiter to like enjoy their meal. Like, oh my god, I had a conversation about this the other day where I was just like, why do I do this all the time? Here, enjoy your meal. I'm like, thanks, you too. <laughs> and then you always think about it afterwards. Oh, yeah. It's like you're always like kicking yourself after. Um, I listened to some of your podcast. I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Thank to, you so much. I wanted to tell you that right off the bat. Um, for people that don't know, the tagline is true crime that's not too heavy. Um, so essentially, I guess, do you do, you do this podcast weekly? I, I do, Yes. So weekly, uh, Pete will essentially go over um, a different, uh, I guess, a different person um, that is involved in the heisting mechanisms. Am I am I butchering your like the the TLDR? No, no, that's that's pretty accurate. Like I, each episode is going to cover a different heist, con, or scam. Uh, and a lot of times the people uh, involved in them as well, because the people are always super interesting. How did you get into like the heisting world? Uh, so I've always, I've always been like super obsessed with, uh, with like heists and bank robberies. I, I think like just seeing them in like movies and stuff like that, uh, like always made me like super excited. Um, when I was in Boy Scouts, uh, we got to, we got to like learn like how to pick locks and like how to rekey locks and stuff like that at a hardware store. And that kind of uh, like getting that skill set at an early age, it kind of just made me like super interested in it. And uh, it's kind of just grown from there. Do you ever break into the hardware store after that? I did not. I worked there for a bit uh, and they were, they were good to me. So no way I was going to break into there. You were never like casing the place out just cause you, you could. Honestly, like that dude was so nice that like I couldn't like I I still like when I walk into banks and stuff like that like I I look at every single like security camera and I'm like I, I could do this. Do you uh, really? I I do. Yeah, it's like partly because uh, like I've got a military background, so I'm like used to like always like as soon as you walk into a room, identify the exits, identify uh, anything that could be a threat. So that's kind of like the attitude that I have, like typically, and it I feel like it goes well with uh, planning heists as well. Is there are there people that watch those cameras like twenty four seven, and every time you walk in, they just see you like 
like go from camera to camera and they're just like, oh, this guy's about to do it. Uh, it's going to depend on the, the situation for that. Like if it's like a small town bank, like chances are they're only watching that if something happens uh, so that they're going to like catch it afterwards. But if you're in like a casino or something like that, then they're going to have like teams of people like constantly watching the cameras and like looking for patterns. So it's going to kind of depend on uh, on what you're looking to rob. So for anybody that's curious, uh, what would be harder to to conduct a heist in? Would it be a like a small town bank or would it be one of the bigger banks? I mean, probably the bigger banks. Like I've seen some real podunk like small town banks. Like I was stationed in Kentucky and there was a bank that was uh, like actually in a trailer. And like, I like mean, a like, like a mobile home? Yeah, like a mobile home. And it like it had like the uh, like the lattices around the bottom and stuff like that. But like you could still drive off with the bank if you had a big enough truck. Um, and I think that a lot of times those ones are like the security is less intense because it usually doesn't need to be very intense because uh, the amount of money there is, is considerably lower. And it's just a lot of security comes down to, to price versus uh, like you have to weigh your opportunity. So like if it's going to, if you don't have a lot of money to insure, you're not going to spend a lot of money to keep it safe. Yeah. At that point, like fuck robbing the bank when you can just drive away with the whole thing. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think the small town ones, like there, there were like little banks in my hometown that, I mean, like we're next to like a 24 hour fitness. Like you could punch a hole in the drywall and be in the bank. That's kind of, yeah, I don't think I do my banking there. Yeah. Yeah, they were like we didn't have like uh like growing up we didn't have like a chase there. Like eventually like the bigger banks, but it was like two little ones that were uh that were like what we had growing up. Are you from uh are you from Kentucky? No, I'm from Wisconsin originally. Okay. I'm from a I'm from a really small town in Virginia and we had uh like a like a daggone branch bank and trust and like a sun trust and that was it. And then after I moved they later got like one Chase Bank ATM and like maybe a Wells Fargo, I think. Okay, yeah, that sounds pretty similar to what I had. We had like Milton Savings and Loan, and then I think also the Bank of Milton. We had uh, ours was like Branch Bank of Marion, so we had like Branch. Uh, what was it? It was it was Bank of Marion or whatever instead of Bank of America, Bank of Marion. Kind of cool. Yeah, um, I like it. If you were going to conduct a heist, do you have a, a bank brand in mind or are you just you just kind of jumping right in and just picking one on the fly? Uh, that's that's a good question. I don't I think like ideally I would pick like an HSBC just because they deal like they finance like the cartels. And so like ideal, oh, shit. ideologically I'd like to steal from them, but that's also probably the worst people to steal from because that's what I was about they, to say. <laughs> they finance the cartel. Like, yeah, I don't know that I, um, I don't like Wells Fargo, so I might go with them. Yeah, I've had a bad Wells Fargo experience as well. I think I'd rob them first. I, I think that's fair. Could you imagine? I mean, that's how most movies start off: is you go to rob a bank, and then you know, there's always the scene where you're in the hotel room with all the money, and then the, and then the next scene, you're in the back of a van, and there's all these guys speaking Spanish, and you know, the main character has no idea what they're saying. That's that's usually how it starts, huh? That, yeah, that's how a lot of them start. So let me ask you this, because um, because 
me and you are about the same age, so heisting uh, for our generation hasn't been all that popular uh, in movies. Every now and then you have something come along, like a Grand Theft Auto Five, where the entire you know essential uh, main storyline is about a heist, uh, or you have movies like um, uh, what is that, L- uh, Lucky Logan, and stuff like that. Do you think that heist movies are kind of like on their way back? I I think so. Like I I think that I I think that they're gonna be because like I would love to get like another Ocean's trilogy, um, and even Ocean's Eight was pretty good. Like I, but I think that they're just like such a such an untapped uh, like source because like like that's kind of why I do my podcast is like, I like action and I like like true crime and stuff like that, but I don't always want to hear about like murder and stuff like that. And so I think that like when you can like have like a crime movie where it's like, like, I, I think that heist like set themselves up to be like funny as well. Like you can have a lot of, a lot of good jokes. Uh, so I think that like having like a funny, cool action movie is, uh, is always in, in vogue. So I think that, uh, I think that uh, heist movies are going to be coming back. Like if they can be funny and they can be uh, like do cool stuff, I I see them being very popular in the future. I remember when uh, when Grand Theft Auto Five originally, like when it had just dropped, uh, I went and bought it, and I was just blown away at the storyline because it's so cool. Uh, but my generation, like we had like the oceans, uh, like the oceans trilogy, but like it was like after that, it was kind of gone for a minute. You know what I mean? It was, it was like, I remember the oceans and then for like, there was like the Italian job and then that was pretty much it. Like there were a lot of them in the eighties and then like, uh, nothing really, I mean, there was heat in the nineties, but that was like, heat was so good that nobody else wanted to like do a heist movie. So like, we can't beat heat. And then they like started with the, the oceans, uh, movies and like making them funny. Did you watch uh, Den of Thieves? Den of Thieves is really good. I did. It was it was phenomenal. Is that whenever you see a movie like that, are they pretty much like by the book, like how a heist would go, or do they, of course, like kind of mess it up so nobody gets this this bright idea to like you know attempt it? Yeah, I I I think that I think that there's definitely like things that they do get right, um, but I also think that a lot of times they have to inject drama where there might not be drama. Uh, just because like heists like they're exciting a lot of times like in in the real world but then like they're also like if they're done right like they're boring because you don't either you don't hear about them or nobody like gets caught and like ideally like nobody wants to do like a big shootout or anything like that so i think that they kind of have to have to add stuff for the pacing i guess you're right like the quieter the better would be kind of like the way to go for a heist to, to be, I guess, successful because nobody wants to, I mean, you're right. Nobody wants to get in like a, like a gunfight. Um, and then of course, when you make too much noise, you know, it's very easy to get, to get caught, I guess. Definitely. Um, so you've on your podcast, you've done 32 episodes. Do you have a favorite story, like a favorite high story so far? Man, there's, that's a great question. Um, I think for like a pure heist, I think my favorite would probably be the Antwerp, uh, Belgium, uh, Diamond Center heist. And like this one, like it was just, it was perfect. And it needs, like I say this a lot, but like this one like definitely needs to be a movie because it's 
like you've got this like diamond center, uh, which is like one of the busiest hubs. Like they do billions of dollars in, in diamond business, like every year in Europe. And this Italian group of thieves steals, they think between 200 million and a billion dollars worth of diamonds. Uh, but the exact number, because like a lot of it's in like safety deposit boxes. So like people, you're never going to get an accurate number on that because like people are hiding stuff in there that they don't want to like claim or report. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, like, like illegal shit, like cartel kind of shit or no? Yeah. A lot of times they're like blood diamonds are like, I mean, in Europe, like there's a lot of like old, like stolen, like art and gold and stuff like that from world war two that, um, that gets put in these, uh, safety deposit boxes. Uh, but what I like so much about this one is they had like this vault that had like 10 layers of security. Like there was light sensor, thermal sensor, heat, uh, like heat sensor, motion detector. Uh, they had a combination lock with like a hundred million possible combinations, like, like all sorts of stuff and like, like a magnetic sensor. So if the vault door opened like a millimeter, like it would set off the alarm. And this guy, this group was able to do that with like a can of hairspray and like they sprayed like the guy like rented a, a box in the uh uh in the vault like for a safety de- deposit box and he was like pretending to be like a diamond seller uh and then one day he like walks in sprays the motion detector with hairspray and then come back uh comes back the next day with like his his gang of thieves and they're able to like break in uh, and there's also like a foot-long key that they had to like copy and like the whole thing is like fascinating and they're like just beautiful heist work. And then they get caught because uh, one of the guys like buys like a salami sandwich because they're Italian <laughs> and uh, they find, they find the salami sandwich in the garbage. And that's like the thread that the cops are able to pull to, to catch everybody. Talk about hanging on the straws. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Like, I mean, like when you, it's just like, it was like a perfectly executed heist and they got undone because of a sandwich. Well, that's like the uh, like the Dunbar, uh, the armored robbery. Like those guys. Uh, for anybody listening, do, do you know the story? I, I do. Yeah. Okay. For anybody, so for anybody listening, uh, the Dunbar armored robbery was the largest cash robbery like ever in the United States. Um, and these six dudes robbed a facility in downtown LA, and they got eighteen point nine million dollars, which is uh, in twenty nineteen the equivalent of thirty point one million. Um, and they left almost zero evidence, but one guy, two years later, uh, gave a, st- a real estate broker a stack of cash with the original, uh, the, the currency straps and the broker contacted the police. Like talk about gotta be on your feet for life after that. I know it's like, you always gotta be running. That's, that's like the thing that, that sucks about, uh, like the high, like I think that would be the worst part is like constantly, like never being able to really relax. Do you think that's what it is? Like, do you think they can truly never relax after that, or do you think there's a lot of people that'll do this and then potentially live a normal life afterwards, or no? You know that that's going to kind of depend on on the person. I think, like, I think there's definitely people uh, that that do live like fairly normal lives and stuff like that. But like, kind of the trick when you're pulling up like after you pull a heist or a robbery or whatever is like, you can't spend all that money like right away because people like the people that know you're going to be like, Oh, that's way too nice of a car for him. Like something's up. And so 
like, I think that that's where a lot of people go wrong. It's like, like they don't live within their means, like after the robbery. And so I think that that's probably the worst part. Uh, and like how a lot of them get caught. Yeah. You can't be going out and buying, uh, you can't be going out and buying Marcielagos after that. Exactly. I mean, not, not if you're like in your same neighborhood, like at that point, like you have to just like move somewhere else. And like, I think if people, I think if people like took off after and uh, like started like from scratch, they'd be, they'd be fine. Uh, have you seen that movie Masterminds with uh, Zach Galifianakis? I did, but like a long time ago. About the, uh, it's about the Loomis Fargo robbery. The, the one in North Carolina, because there was two of them the same year. There was uh, made in North Carolina, and then seven months before that, there was the uh, the Loomis Fargo robbery in Jacksonville, Florida. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Mastermind was a great movie. And it was kind of, it's, it's exactly what you're talking about. Like, it was, uh, like, it's a heist movie with a lot of comedy kind of sprinkled in and, and about. But um, that guy done, like, real time and then wrote, I guess, like, a, a novel about it afterwards. Yeah, there's a lot of them. That David Gant fell. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, no worries. Yeah, there's a lot of them. Like, I don't think I would pull a heist in the U.S. Uh, like, just because of, like, the insane amounts of jail time that these guys get. Like, I would do it in Europe. Because, uh, like, if you don't use a gun, like, you're usually out in, like, two to four years in Europe. And then if you've got, like, the money stashed, like, I'd do two years if I knew I had $10 million sitting sitting in a bank waiting for me. Oh, that's pretty legit, actually. Right. That's and yeah, you. I might uh, podcast and like might not be for me after this. I wouldn't make that money like if I was working those four years. So it seems like a pretty good. Uh, well, you got to think too. In in jail, you're at least going to have for sure what three meals a day. You know, you get to work on your physique. You know, doing a lot of push ups and crunches. So you know, you'll get out and look like a damn CrossFit athlete with ten million in a in a barrel in your front yard. That's pretty sweet, honestly. It, it's not a bad deal, and I think that's I think that's a, why a lot of people get sucked into it. If somebody approached you right now and said, "Hey, let's do this," you don't think you'd do it? Uh, man, okay, so that would depend, because um, I I think like if we could like hypothetically like I knew they weren't a cop, I would like think about it. I don't know that I would do it. Like I got a good life. Uh, but I, I think, I mean, you got to weigh the risk and reward. If it was like, Hey, we're going to like steal a hundred million dollars and chances are like, Oh, I'd probably heavily consider it. If, if, so if you're the getaway driver, do you still get all this time? Cause I was looking like these guys are getting like 10 to 12 plus years. Yeah. I mean, so that's going to depend, um, it's going to depend a lot on, on the nature of the crime. Like typically like the getaway driver is still going to get um, like a pretty, pretty similar sentence, but that's going to like, it hinges on a lot of stuff. Like it's going to hinge on like the, the level of violence for the crime. Like where, where people armed because if, if somebody has a gun, then like everybody's doing more time. That kind of makes sense, I guess. Um, how long have you been podcasting about uh, heists? Uh, you know, so I started about uh, kind of like three years ago. Um, but I actually, 
I did four episodes and then I got hired by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. And they told oh, me like, shit. yeah, like basically uh, like I got hired to do cybersecurity for them and they like, like I had to fill out like a conflict of interest form and they found out about the podcast and like, you absolutely cannot talk about like robbing banks while you work for the biggest bank in the world. Uh, so I had to like, I was on like a two year break because I couldn't, uh, like I worked for the bank for just under two years. And then once, uh, once I left the bank, uh, I started back up. So I've been going at it in 2020 since I, I think March is when I relaunched. Yeah. After, after we get finished with this podcast, I'm gonna have to keep you on the line for a little bit to discuss. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that's so crazy. So you, they made you they made you fill out like a conflict of interest thing or you just kind of willingly uh, kind of did it just to clear your name before anything kind of. Well, transpired? You, you get like a background check, um, like when you're, when you're there. And so like, basically if it's like, if you have any like outside activities or anything where you're talking about your, um, like talking as an expert in your field, like you have to, like if I, if I wanted to give a Ted talk, I would have to disclose that. And then, like, make sure that, like, I'm saying that I'm not representing the bank when I when I say it. Um, and so I had to, like, they listed like anything about like uh, media. So I had to I had to do the podcast, and also the podcast was like, if you Googled my name, it was like one of the first things. So I didn't want to like not say it, and then have them be like, "Why didn't you tell us about this?" Yeah, that's kind of suspect. Whenever you're you're walking in, looking at all the cameras, and they say, "Hey, guy," exactly. That makes sense. So how, uh, without prying too hard, how do you land a job like that? So I, I landed it. Uh, I mean, mostly I went to school for computer science, uh, and I, um, I got my bachelor's degree in computer science and information security. And then while I was in school, I got a couple internships. Uh, I got accepted like a scholarship for black hat, uh, which is like the biggest cybersecurity convention in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so like getting a scholarship to that was like a great resume point. And then basically like I had a friend that worked for the bank who was able to refer me. Um, and so that got me like my first interview. And then after that, it was just kind of like, um, uh, having the, uh, the skill set and, uh, the knowledge to, to kind of like get through the interviews and stuff like that. And I had a little bit of job experience, but I don't think I would have gotten the job if it wasn't for, for like my friend's initial referral. So I think that that definitely helped a lot. Now, is your friend aware that you are kind of like a a mastermind at this time or? Uh, I think he is. Um, Actually, one of the, one of the um, like interview questions I had at the bank was like, if you wanted to rob the bank, how would you do it? And like, I don't know that they were ready for the level of detail that I gave them. <laughs> uh, Cause afterwards they're like, Oh, like, so you've like thought about this. And then like, that's kind of when I had to say, like, Oh, well, I like researched these like professionally. And uh, one of the episodes I did before, before I got the job, there was actually about a heist that involved the federal reserve. So like I was able to like give them the details of that. And they're like, okay, like you, you know what you're talking about. Can you give us those details? Like not like not like even like a funny way, but if somebody was to try to rob, let's say the Federal Reserve, how do you even 
like what do you start how much planning goes into something like this oh man okay so like days weeks months i mean probably months to years um it's going to depend on it's going to depend on like how you're trying to do it because like they have they have gold and in the basement, uh, but you're not getting to that. Like you're just flat out not not getting to it. Um, and so the heist where uh, wait, pe- I don't mean to cut you off because of security, you're not getting to that, or because of like time management, you're not. It's probably not a high priority. Oh no, like just because of like security, like they're like they're gold gold vault and stuff like that. Like it's in it's like way underground. It's got like one of the biggest vault doors on earth. Uh, there's armed guards like constantly. Like it's it's incredibly secure, um, gotcha. because I mean there's hundreds of bill like hundreds of billions of dollars in gold, and uh, the way that like the heist that like actually happened like successfully uh, was like a was a cyber crime, and so basically what they did was. Um, the attackers like there's a like banks use uh something called swift uh to to make payments to each other it's like kind of like uh aol instant messenger but for banks and like you can't like if you have a swift account like you have to be like a recognized bank gotcha. and, so, and so i could like if you had a swift number and i had a swift number i could like email you and be like i need 50 million dollars and you would just send me over the $50 million because like the, the idea is like, if I can send a swift message, it's because I'm authorized to do so. And so the attackers were able to uh, pretend to be the central bank of Bangladesh. And they like sent them, they sent the central bank of Bangladesh, uh, I think like a hundred million dollars in, uh, in transactions. And they're like, Hey, like, please pay us this money, wire it to this account. And the Central Bank of Bangladesh, which is like the uh, the Bangladeshi Federal Reserve, uh, they sent like eighty million dollars uh, because it was broken up into a couple transactions. And then they're like, "Oh, this doesn't seem right." And then they they dug a little deeper and found out that uh, somebody had basically been able to spoof like Swift credentials, and that that money like went to like a casino in the Philippines, and they never got a cent of it back. Damn. So nobody, essentially nobody got busted for that then. Yeah, nobody got busted. I think it was North Korea that did it, uh, which would make a lot of sense. Damn North Koreans. They're, they heist so much stuff. And like their cybercrime division is like top notch. Wait, like from the US or from like, over, oh, like from, overall everywhere? Uh, from all over the world. Because uh, like, North Korea has uh, a lot of like, advantages like because because of the sanctions like they've basically had to turn to criminal activity and so like they can't make money uh through trade and so they make money uh through crime and it's it's one of those like weird situations where they're criminals because they're kind of forced to be criminals and because they're a sovereign nation they have the ability to to do things that like regular criminal enterprises wouldn't be able to do. So like they can buy like the machines and the paper to print money because like their country and everyone's like, okay, well, you know, they have to have their own currency. Uh, but then like they just, they'll print hundreds of millions of dollars of like 
identical American hundred dollar bills. Like, and it's like, it's basic, it's counterfeiting, but it's basically just them printing American money because they're using the same, same equipment and stuff like that. And so truthfully, like those people can't really leave North Korea either. So like realistically they're counterfeiting, but the risk of, uh, let's say like an American getting those, those actual dollars is pretty low, right? Well, that's gonna that's gonna depend a little bit, like because they they'll spend those money, like they'll spend that money because like with counterfeit money, like having a bunch of like counterfeit money doesn't really do any any good until you like exchange it for real money. So they'll go and like buy things and like get change back, and uh, or they'll launder it through like casinos and stuff like that until it's like real clean money. Let me ask you this: so when you have a money plate. What separates this plate from actual, like, factual dollar bills? Uh, so, like, what separates North Korean currency from, like, or, like, North Korean counterfeit currency from, like, real currency? Yeah, so, um, like, TV shows, movies, etc., they always show you, like, the plates of counterfeit money that needs to be, quote-unquote, cleaned, right? So what is the difference in these right here compared to, like, actual dollar bills that were exchanging at Walmart, 7-Eleven, et cetera. So between like for like the quality of the North Korean counterfeiting, like honestly, the only difference is the U S saying this is okay. And this isn't um, like on paper, like pun intended, like they're identical and like they have the exact same security features and things like that. Like they're printing American money. They just like, it's just not backed up by our banks. So it's not, it's not, not uh, seen, yeah, it's not like seen as legitimate. Uh, I mean, cause it's not, it's not like legitimate because it's not like backed up by, uh, by our federal reserve. Uh, but the, like, if you took two bills, like you couldn't tell them apart. Like a lot of times, uh, like if somebody else is like a private criminal organization is doing it, then like there might be like minor details and like, um, or like a blemish in the plate or something like that. Um, but North Korea is, is like so advanced at it that it's, it's just identical. And, uh, and that's, and the criminals are getting a little better at that too, which is why we constantly have to like update our money. And uh, I think eventually we're going to switch to like plastic uh, instead of paper. Do you think that our generation will see a day where we abandon paper money and we go strictly to uh like let's say um like i guess plastic like using the cards and cryptocurrency i don't um i i think we'll get close to it but i think that as long as there is some sort of uncertainty um like it the uncertainty like, being cybersecurity at the time uh well the uncertainty could be anything like political like unrest i mean like the U.S. is like fairly close to a, a second civil war, you know, um, and I, I think that people are always going to want the security blanket that having like cash gives them, um, because like you can you know you can hide cash in a coffee can or bury it in your front yard. Like if if like computer stopped working tomorrow, like. You know, how are you going to get that money? At least with cash, like, you have like something tangible. And I think that having that like tangibility, uh, I think we're going to like 
get away from it and like that, that uh, a little bit. But I, I think that there's always going to be some sort of demand for a tangible uh, like product that like is like analog. You just brought up a really good point talking about the civil unrest in America. In the event that there was a second civil war, um, and let's say that, of course, there's two factions, right? Let's just, for for all intents and purposes, call them one and two, right? Uh, would one and two have separate currencies, or would they still use the American U.S. dollar? You know, that's um, that's a good question, and I don't really have a like a concrete answer for that because I think it's a bit more complicated than that. Like I know like when the the Confederacy had like their own dollars and stuff like that, but I don't see like another American civil war being where like half the country, like just flat out leaves and like forms their own country. I think, I think that uh, the definition of a civil war has changed like pretty significantly uh and it's going to be closer to like what you see in like syria and stuff like that where there's not going to be just two groups i think you're going to have uh like factions of, of yeah exactly yeah. and like regions and stuff like that so like i mean you might have like the michigan militia like might be you know like the trump train uh and then like you would have like there's like like left-wing gun groups and stuff like that like the socialist rifle association and things like that that might might try to form like, you know, coalitions in like coastal cities and like, and like blue states and stuff like that. Um, but I think that the only thing that really has to happen for it to be like a civil war is it just has to be ungovernable. And like, if the US government like doesn't, like can't go in and like stop things anymore, then like, I mean, that's a civil war. Like that's, that's a failed state at that point. And then who knows what the currency is going to be? Like, are you going to like keep using money from a government that you don't recognize anymore? Without getting too political, do you think that as a country we're close to that point? I I think so. Um, and it makes me nervous to, to say so, but I I do. Um, I would actually like really like to plug a podcast that I have nothing to do with, but is like fast oh, if you're interested in this. Yes, um, yes, yes, absolutely. There's a, a conflict journalist named Robert Evans who he hosts like behind the bastards and worst week ever. Um, but he did a great, uh, I think it's like seven or eight episodes called it could happen here about a second American civil war. And like, that's where he talks about like, uh, like different factions and like, because he, he covered like the Syrian civil war and stuff like that. And so I think, yeah, I, I think that there's like, definitely like without getting like too political, I think, that the, the tension is there. Like there's a huge distrust. Like there's a huge chunk of the country that doesn't think that the most recent like election results are legitimate. I mean, people tried to like kidnap and execute the, the Michigan, like the governor of Michigan, like two months ago. Like, that's to be insane. Fair, to be fair, Flint, Michigan still doesn't have clean water. So yeah, I'm oh, not yeah, saying, absolutely. I'm not, I'm not saying it was a good idea to kidnap him, but you know, maybe kick his ass, you know, in front of the Seven Eleven or something. Oh yeah, like and honestly, like if it would have been like where they did that because like they were, like if it would have been like a group of people saying like, you know, like we're from Flint and we, like we got to take care of ourselves. Like I would almost understand that, but like for it to be like a random like militia group that like 
didn't like the way that they were talking about the president. Like, I think that's like different. Like Flint, you could almost make the argument for self-defense. Yeah. Yeah. I No, I, I agree. <clears throat> I, um, it's such a weird time and 2020 has just been, um, I don't know a, a polite way to say this. It's been pretty shitty. It, it believe, sure has. <laughs> do you believe in aliens? I absolutely do. Yeah, I'm just waiting for those motherfuckers now. Oh, man, I like I am like so ready for it. I I think I think within five years, like we get a hundred percent confirmation. Um, because the Navy already like uh, like it, it's what a weird year. Like Tom DeLong from Blink One Eighty Two like leaked videos. Of That's what UFO. I was about to say. My boy Tom I, DeLong. And then the Navy's like, yeah, no, that's like that's actually, uh, yep, exactly what it looks like. Uh, and I, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that there's any way that there's not uh, aliens. And if they're if they've come to Earth, I think we're going to find out about it uh, very soon. Did you watch the uh, the Bob Lazar documentary that was on? Uh, I, I think I watched it on Hulu. Uh, I, I did. I watched that. Narrated by Mickey Rourke. That was a good ass documentary. It was. Um, yeah, I'm just waiting for the aliens to come. Now that would be. I don't, I think we're so desensitized to things in 2020. I don't think anybody would bat an eyelash. They'd just be like, "Oh, okay, sweet." Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like I, I think, like at this point, like because they all they also like thought that they might have like detected like. Uh, signs of life like on venus uh, i've seen like, that yeah and and like it didn't even like it wasn't even like the five o'clock news like locally there uh, see i'm a very huge conspiracy theorist and i think that um american media like mainstream media is just absolute shit man because you're right they do hide a lot of stuff like this like the uh, like finding intelligent forms of life and, and they hide a lot of stuff that just pertains to us, but they just don't feel like we need to know. And the, the biggest thing about mainstream media that I absolutely hate, and people can call me a conspiracy theorist or, or a whack job, but it's all owned uh, by these by the, the same group of people, essentially. There's only five big corporations that own uh, CNN, Fox, uh, ABC, etc., and these people have more control than people actually understand because they essentially control the amount of information that we get. And to me, that's just fucking mental. Yeah, no, it like the whole thing is in, insane. Like as far as uh, as far as that, but then it's also like, and that's kind of like a principle of, of cybersecurity to kind of bring things like full circle. Is it's uh, like we have these things called like. Uh, like uh proof or like zero proof or like like everything is based on trust right so it's like uh encryption only works if like you and i both trust that the encryption key you know is valid and it becomes harder to recognize like a source of truth and like like an end like an indefutable like source of truth and seeing that with like the media is is hard too because like you don't you don't know which way is up like there's not like i wish we had like more like the guardian or like al jazeera here in the states where you could get something that's like a little a little less biased 
I uh, I I will forever love the Guardian for. Uh, if, I'm a I'm a huge fan of Edward Snowden, and I hope that if this is um, the end of the Trump presidency, I I do hope that he pardons Edward Snowden. Um, I meant to do this a moment ago. I completely forgot. I don't mean to derail our conversation, but if anybody wants to find that podcast, it's called It Could Happen Here. Uh, iHeartRadio is the, um, I guess, like the producer of it, but you can find it on uh, Apple. I haven't punched it on Spotify yet for anybody listening on Spotify, but the man's name is Robert Evans, um, and he has nine episodes. I just subscribed to it. It looks really good. It has really good ratings. Um, I love listening to shit like that, but. But no, I love the Guardian, man. I love Edward Snowden. Um, that's that's another one of those things, though, was uh, the way that they handled Edward Snowden and treated him um, like a pariah. And this guy's trying to to literally liberate um, Americans and let them know, like, hey, your your privacy isn't as private as you think. And they say, oh, well, you know, you're an asshole. We're gonna come get you. So they're almost forcing this guy into. Uh, into exile it just it doesn't make any sense to me yeah no i mean oh go ahead oh no i was just gonna i i agree with that like i think there's definitely like things that i would have liked to see him do differently but i think that like the intent and like getting out like all of the like nsa like spying or like domestic spying programs was like was very important and was was generally good yeah, have you um have you seen the movie Snowden? I have not yet. Snowden is a very good film, and for anybody, for anybody that I don't want to say has been living under a rock, uh, but for anybody that might not be educated on the matter, the movie Snowden would be the best place to start. Uh, there's also a book titled Sn- uh, "The Snowden Files," I think is what it's titled. Um, definitely check into it though, and, and kind of make your own assumptions. Don't let me. Uh, I guess give you like some sort of biased opinion. Um, but I, I truly think that, that that is one of the true American heroes of this 2000s, 2010s, um, I guess, time period. And we're kind of running out of those true American heroes now, day by day. That is, that is very true. You, you mentioned a moment ago, you were working for uh, the Federal Reserve. Man, we... <laughs> The second I said something about aliens, I like I knew it was either you were either going to call me crazy or it was going to it was going to be a good conversation. <laughs> um, you you mentioned a moment ago you were working for the Federal Reserve, um, so you took a two year hiatus from the podcast. You wrote a book called Heist. When did this book uh, come out? Like how did this how did the book come about? I guess. So uh, so Heist is actually still in in progress, um, and it's going to be released in fall of twenty twenty one. Um, but basically, the way, oh, no worries. No worries. Uh, the way that it came about was after I started my podcast back up, actually, um, a publishing company like heard a couple of the episodes, like somehow, like they they found me and they sent me an email and I said, hey, like we're trying to put together this this book about a uh, hundred like high profile heists or like a hundred like different heists. And we really like your show. Um, and would love for you to be the person that writes it. And so uh, I kind of like, you know, worked out the details with them and my manager and then signed everything and have been working on it ever since. So it's 
it's going to be really fun. Like it's going to be a hundred different high sec broken into categories and talking about like some con artists and, and things like that as well. But it should be, should be pretty cool. It'll be a, a good coffee table book. That is awesome, man. That is, that is super cool. I, uh, I'm in the process of writing a novel right now that I'm hoping to have, I guess the first draft, uh, completely finished by the end of the year. Um, oh, nice. And writing is no joke though, man. Writing, it, even, even about things that you love, is still very hard. It is. It's so tedious. Like, because like I write, I write episodes, uh, you know, at least one a week for, uh, for my podcast and it's even just like getting it from like a podcast episode and then like changing it to get to get it like book ready it's like having to like start over it's like it's definitely harder than i thought it was gonna be yeah i um what's really hard man is like when you have other things like like when you have a podcast or like i have a i have a one-year-old um or and i and i also i coach mma in the evening so for me, like just sitting down and actually writing is it's, I love it. Like I truly think that like writing is kind of like my passion, but it's so hard to make time for. Um, and then I'm kind of like, a, I'm a perfectionist too. So that it really like the OCD of writing just really kills me sometimes. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like I've, um, I've been trying to like break myself down, uh, to like, to the, like very like small digestible goals. Like um, I basically, I had a hundred different like heists to write about. Uh, and I'm like, I think I'm done with like 20 something of them now. And basically it's like, okay, like each one is like three pages. So just do two, a, like if you can get five done a week, then, then that's okay. Or basically like, I think my manuscript is due in March. So like starting in, like starting in like January, I'm basically depending on like how far I am. I'm gonna write one per day and just be like, I can't sleep or do anything until I get this done. <laughs> yeah, I I've been setting a goal for myself. Um, the book is over halfway done, but I'm I'm setting a goal for myself to at least get one chapter a week now. Um, even even that, you know, you pick something up, you start something. And you get a couple paragraphs and then you, you put it down and then you come back and it's like, you just want to get rid of the entire thing. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's been, uh, and then like also like trying to like smooth everything out and like get the, the voice consistent throughout it has been, yes. has been like really challenging. I'll notice sometimes that, um, depending on my mood, uh, like the, actually the overall tone of the, of the book can vary from chapter to chapter. And I was like, I hate that. It's it's very raw and like visceral to do it that way, but I also hate it because of the like the bipolarness of it, I guess. Exactly. Uh, so I've I've started for a while now. Like I don't go back and read it. Uh, like I like there's things that I'll edit, but basically my my goal now is just get them like just like give them the, the biggest piece of like marble that I can. Mm -hmm. And then eventually like send it to my editor and she'll help me like chip away everything that doesn't look like a swan. Do you read a lot? Uh, like actively read a lot? Uh, I, I try to like not as much as, 
not as much as I would like to or as much as I should. Uh, I've been reading a lot to like research for this book and like my podcast and stuff like that. But what kind of stuff? If people were looking for things to read, um, like yet within your genre, what what would be some good stuff for them to pick up? Um. So there's a couple great books. Um, one of them that I'm uh, a big fan of is called uh, The Feather Thief. And that's that's a book about uh, a heist where like a kid stole hundreds of hundreds of thousands of dollars in feathers uh, from a uh, from a museum in England. And it sounds weird, but it's it's absolutely fascinating because they get into like the history of like um, of why he did it. And, uh, and also like why the feathers were like significant. Uh, and it was, it really sucked me in. Like, I don't want to yeah. give uh, too much away on that. And then the burglar's guide to the city is really great too. Uh, Cause that talks about like different, like high profile heists and things like that, but also um, kind of a, from like an architecture, uh, like an architecture standpoint. So it's like, here are like things that kind of like change the way that I like look at things when I walk around the city. I'm like, Oh, okay. Like, this was a bank a hundred years ago. This would have been super easy to rob or like, here's how like banks are laid out now. And it's, it's kind of cool. Yeah. It sounds, it sounds really interesting. And I, I like how you always come back to, Oh, this bank would be easy to rob. Like, like you're always, always on the case. I, I am. It's like, it's a sickness. Like I, I can't look at something without like thinking about how to steal it. And I can't, uh, I can't like, if there's an opportunity for a pun or a horrible joke, like I can't not do it. Is that where you got the, like the title for your podcast at? I can steal that. Where You're just like always thinking like, I could probably steal that. Yeah. That was, that was kind of the, uh, kind of the idea behind it. Like I thought for a little while of doing, uh, and I might still do like bonus episodes about uh, kind of like D and D based where like I would get a couple friends and we would like, um, like take like different things from pop culture and be like, okay, like how would you steal Thor's hammer? Uh, and kind of like round table it like that. Um, oh, that'd, that'd be super cool. Actually. I didn't mean to cut you off. That'd be super cool. Yeah. It'd be a really fun bonus episode, I think. Or like a series of them. I have a really hard time. Like whenever I do, because I, I try to keep it now, like with the podcast, I try to keep a like an equal base of like actually having guests versus like doing like solo podcasts. And I find that, um, like when I do like the actual solo podcast, like I find myself kind of putting myself in those kind of scenarios, like like during the episode, like hmm, how would I do this? Or you know what I mean? Um, oh yeah, I, I always enjoy episodes like that where even if it is very um, like out of the box and like a very odd topic, like just kind of, just kind of covering something different. You know what I mean? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, because you're so big into heist, are you, are you a big history guy? I am. I love history. Yeah. Have you, have you ever heard of a podcast called in the red clay? I have uh, like the, the Georgia, the Dixie mafia and stuff. Yes. Yes. I am super. So, I'm really into like Appalachian history because I'm from like Appalachian America. And uh, so when, when I heard in the red clay, um, 
it actually, I co-host a show called the, the Weekly Forecast, and it was brought up on the show, and I'd never heard of it before. Um, and my brother was telling me about it, and I was like, "Well, shit, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it a listen." And that is a fascinating story right there about the Georgia Dixie Mafia. It is. It was. Uh, I've got a couple left that I uh, that I need to listen to, but I, yeah. I loved it. Yeah, I'm I'm hardcore binging it right now, and I only have a couple left, and I'm just like, "Oh, after the baby goes to sleep, I'm just gonna pop the headphones in and just finish them," you know. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's a super cool story uh, about a guy named Billy Sunday Burt, for anybody curious, um, and how the Georgia Dixie Mafia was created. Um, and I know we—I've talked about books like uh, like Hillbilly Elegy. Uh, have you ever read that, by the way? Uh, I have not. It sounds cool, though. They actually—they just made it into a movie. It's about a guy uh, who—he's from an Appalachian town, and he leaves, and he goes to Yale, and then he comes back, and he kind of like reflects on. Uh, like the town he grew up in and stuff. Uh, super good book. It's called Hillbilly Elegy. It's by a, a man named uh, J.D. Vance, I think is his name. Um, but I'm I'm really into like Appalachian history. And then I heard In the Red Clay, and I was like, oh, that's super cool. Uh, Georgia, there's parts of the Appalachian Mountains in Georgia. Um, but these guys are just like old school moonshiners that just kind of, um, essentially like they were kind of doing heists and, and stuff back in the day, but they were just trying to make a living. And it's just so, um, like entertaining to me. It, it really is. Like, I, I love like that, like the golden, like crime eras of, of like the twenties and stuff like that. Um, moonshine and prohibition and shit. I remember like when I was in, I was stationed in Kentucky for a bit. Uh, and they would tell us like, cause we would go out on like the land nav courses and stuff like that. in like Fort Knox uh, and they would say, like, you know, chances are you're not going to, like, see, like, a still or anything like that. But if you get lost and, like, you find, like, you see, like, a whiskey still, they're like, don't touch anything. Just, like, put a log, like, throw a log on the fire and, like, keep moving. Because, like, chances are, like, you're being watched. And They said to throw a log in the fire? Yeah, basically it was, like, as, like, a goodwill. To be like, let's yeah, keep the fire going. and It's uh, pretty cool. Yeah, it was it was neat, and like we never, like I never like ran on any uh, like stills or anything like that in the hollers. But I know that like further out east, like there was uh, there was also like a huge like marijuana operation and stuff like that, where like they would have like you know basically like landmines and stuff like that, or like you know like uh, just like traps and like fishing hooks and stuff like that, like uh, to protect their grow. Yeah, they uh, they take their marijuana pretty seriously. I uh, I've actually I don't think I've ever told this story on the podcast. Um, when I was growing up, I grew up in a town uh, that had zero stoplights. It had one stop sign. Very small town. I graduated fifty people in my graduating class, and um, where I grew up, I grew up kind of like in the farmland ish area, um, and so I took a four wheeler one time. Uh, me and one of my good buddies took a four wheeler and just kind of went riding one day, like just to, to kind of go riding. And we get way far back, like past our property line, like where, you know, we've held the barbed wire fence up and, you know, pushed the four wheeler underneath it and just kept going. Um, and we ran across what I didn't know at the time, cause I was like 16, 17 years old. I didn't know at the time it was a moonshine steel, but I later kind of put two and two together that it was a moonshine steel. And I was like, Oh, that's kind of cool. Like, uh, and it had definitely been abandoned. Like nobody had used it for a while. Uh, nowadays, though, you're more than you're more than likely to run into like a meth lab than a moonshine steel, which you know, pretty shitty. 
you know, the the chances of getting blown up are, are significantly greater. But <laughs> um, <laughs> but I feel I think we're kind of having this almost like a second uh, like a renaissance of um, I guess like crime with the the meth heads and whatnot. You know, there used to be moonshiners, which by the way, uh, alcohol is definitely not as uh, definitely not as bad as meth. I'm not saying everybody should go make meth, but I'm just saying that in comparison, that's kind of the, the, the generation we're in. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. And I, I my, could... go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, my, uh, my area specifically was an area that got affected when they started shutting coal mines down. And those people in turn ended up turning to drugs and, and ended up starting, um, I guess the the single biggest um, like meth lab, I guess growth in America. It was like the capital of like meth country uh, in America for a while, which is very sad. Um, but when you actually like when you truly think about it, like it was that same area way back in the day that was was moonshining and whatnot. Yeah, and I, I think that it's going to in the future again. Like I think when you kind of see like the the deterioration of like trust and like uh, police forces and stuff like that. I think you're going to see like a resurgence of like that, uh, that like, I guess like criminal spirit um, and like as opportunities like economically like dwindle, like people are going to be kind of forced like back into, uh, you know, illicit crimes and stuff like that. And so I, I could definitely see like a second, I mean, we might go full roaring 20s uh, in 2020s. I wouldn't mind wearing a suit, you know? I mean, you can wear a suit now. Well, yeah, but I'm saying they used to wear them you know, <laughs> daily. <laughs> those those fellas were wearing suits daily. I wouldn't mind that. Yeah, I, I've been working from home for nine months. I don't think I've worn jeans more than twice. Oh, let me tell you. See, my job... Uh, I don't I don't really like, talk about my job on the podcast. But my job, I've been, I've been rocking and rolling... Uh, since the pandemic, so I I am in a uniform every day, but then I come home, I put on sweatpants, man. So truthfully, like I wore jeans the other day for my daughter's birthday party, but other than that, dude, I'm not outside of sweatpants very often. That's that's not a bad way to be, honestly. No, dude, I I grew up, I, I wrestled my entire life, so like I grew up just like throwing on sweatpants and like going to tournaments and like going to practices real early. Dude, the second that I uh, like met adulthood, this like, if I don't have to wear a uniform, shit, dude, sweatpants, basketball shorts, that's it. That's that's fair. That's I miss having like uh, I miss like the tearaway pants from wrestling. Oh hell yeah, dude! Because what, like, yeah, what are they called? We always just called them tearaway pants, but like you would have like the uh, like because you got your wrestling shoes on, like you can't. Hammer pants. Like it's hard. Yeah, the hammer pants were. Uh, yeah. And yeah, that was just like if you could get it all off in like one good rip, that was like you were the coolest kid in school. Dude, they gave us a a damn like a, a windbreaker kind of tracksuit, and so the legs, like the legs of the sweats, would unbutton, so you could like tear them away. But the top was like a zip up, and sometimes like we would all. Um, Cause like I grew up in like a very small town, so we could essentially run from our high school down to the actual town and then back, uh, like for cardio and shit. So 
I remember we would all suit up in our damn tracksuit, and it would sound like damn two pieces two pieces of sandpaper rubbing together running down the road in those the the windbreakers or whatever. I used to hate. Those oh things. yeah, I, I remember that. Uh, we would do the same thing. Like we would run. Like if you ran, like the the loop around town, it was like four miles, and uh, so we would do that for uh, for cardio every day for wrestling. We used to do that, and then we would run. Uh, we'd do like stadiums and stuff, which was always kind of fun. But uh, we used to crank it up, man. Like we'd have it absolutely cranking in the wrestling room to the point where, if you were cutting weight, you were probably cutting too much at that point. You know what I mean? Uh, but I miss those days, man. Like I'm very involved in like mixed martial arts now, so like I still wrestle uh, like pretty well, like full time. But I I miss like I miss those days. You know what I mean? Yeah, I miss the I miss the training. Like I I used to train uh, jujitsu too, and uh, like I I miss the yeah, just like the like those like the late rounds where you're like just like exhausted and like oh, you're yeah. just going on like instinct at that point. Like I I love it. That's actually like the best way to uh, to like get like competition readiness is like those those really late rounds like like the final five minutes. Um, and I'll notice that sometimes like my final five minutes is almost better than like my first two rounds, you know what I mean? Or, or the first three, just because you are kind of going purely off instincts and you're almost like thinking less uh, while doing more almost. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. Like we would do like King of the Hill a lot. And like, I was usually one of the bigger guys in my, uh, in my class. So like a lot of times, like I'd be going like eight or nine uh like eight or nine rounds in a row uh just because like i would beat whoever and then like the next person would come and i would uh and like those last ones like there were a couple where i was like kind of surprised at how like how good i was at like like just like effortlessly like hitting a sweep or something i uh kind of taking it back to wrestling for a moment we would do king of the hill and i was one of the smaller guys like on our team like i wrestled at uh at the time it was 119 it's changed to 120 oh, now but wow. okay. when i was wrestling at 119 uh i was in there i think the next smallest guy to me was like 145 and i would just be ankle picking everybody because i was so much smaller uh and you get to, <laughs> you get to jujitsu and you do king of the hill and you're just like oh damn i gotta hit a sweep on this 200 pound guy <laughs> it's kind of kind of difficult there yeah i i wrestled at uh like my first two years i was 189 and then after that, I went to heavyweight because, like, uh, my school was, like, uh, state champions, like, pretty regularly for wrestling. Uh, always conference champion and usually went to state. And, like, the guy, uh, like, the 189 and the heavyweight were both, like, the reigning state champs. And so I kind of just, like, hit the point where I'm like, I'm not going to be varsity for either. So I might as well, like, stop cutting weight. And so I went up to heavyweight. To have Dude, an easier time. When when you come up in a room like that though, like full of killers, man, you get good really quick. Yeah, I, I was like crushing kids. Like I still hold like the school record for fastest pin. Uh and that was a that was a varsity match. I got a I had a pin in six seconds. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, I just like shook his hand, the head throw, and then one, two, three out. That's um, awesome. And uh but yeah, it was it's just cause like I needed to like be able to like hit that like quickly against those guys. Uh, otherwise they would just like destroy me. 
when I was growing up, me and me and my best friend, uh, we were actually the team captains for three years, our sophomore, junior, and senior year. Uh, shout out to him, rest in peace, uh, CRL for real. Um, but we, I remember our senior year, there was only two of us that ended up going to state, and we, after like the first day of state, we were the number nine ranked team in the state of Virginia uh, as two people. So, like, when you come up in a room like that, like, full of killers, and then you're, like, also, like, learning on the job as well, like, it just makes you, like, better wrestlers, I think. And then... Oh, absolutely. Jiu-jitsu-wise, or even, like, MMA-wise, like, I was in a gym in South Carolina where at any given moment there was six or seven pro fighters all in there sparring at once. So I I noticed, like, sparring those guys on a regular basis – uh, when I moved back to Florida and started coaching, like I knew stuff that I didn't know I knew. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's like same thing. Like I, uh, I trained at uh, Henzo Gracie's in in New York City, and it was like with John oh, no Donner and like Gordon Ryan, and like you'd see like George St. Pierre and like Jake Shields and stuff like that in there pretty regularly. Uh, and if UFC was like in New York, then like everybody was like training there like the days before the fight, and just the amount of like the amount of insane shit that I like learned, like just from, just from like watching them warm up. Well, that's like uh damn, uh, Nikki Ryan or no, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, Nikki, uh, Nick Rodriguez, the, the black belt killer as a fucking blue belt. I mean, it, you know, one of the, uh, one of the main training partners of Gordon Ryan as a blue belt is submitting black belts at, at, at Pan Ams and shit. I mean, that's, that's, truly like like that is the definition of iron sharpens iron right there yeah like the death squad was insane like that was like the group like john donaher's like prized core uh and you had like gary tonin uh who at the time was like i think he beat like jacare um yeah and like it was it was insane like and then like you would also have like fucking like cool dudes like uh Anthony Bourdain would like train with us. Oh my and God. Rest in peace, Anthony Bourdain. I'm actually was, rereading kitchen confidential right now. That dude was the coolest motherfucker I've ever met in my life. Truly. Like he is definitely one of my idols. Does, uh, Octavia trains that, uh, the Donna, her death squad, doesn't she? I, I think she, I think she left. Oh, okay. Okay. Like, I think, Actually, I'm not sure. Like, I haven't, I haven't been there in like two, three years. Um, but I think at the time, like, she left to go to. There was another academy in Brooklyn. Oh, okay, yeah, uh, yeah. And it was her and uh, Eddie Wolverine Cummings. Yep. Like they they started dating after she divorced Anthony, uh, and I think they were out of out of Brooklyn. Cause I stopped seeing her come in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, shout out to, uh, shout out to Anthony Bourdain. I absolutely, I still watch, um, no reservations and I still watch a lot of, uh, a lot of interviews with Anthony. Definitely a one of a kind individual. He was, he was a, such a nice dude. He was actually the first person that te- uh, taught me how to do a heel hook or a really? knee bar. Yeah, because he was like, I was like watching him like drill it with somebody, and I, I wasn't sure if it was like private or not, because uh, he could do like private lessons with like the instructors. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that it was just like him and a buddy like drilling. And so then they like called me over, and uh, like 
I was I was still awake all day. Like was pretty close to getting my blue at that point, but uh, he taught me like how to do it and like made sure that I like drilled it on him until I could like hit it from like both sides, and it was it was really cool. That's pretty incredible, man. That's that's one of those stories that like like you hear people talk about how sweet of a guy Anthony was, and then you know just hearing like you talk about that, like it's so um, that's so incredible, man. And that's a story that that you're like you're gonna carry that for the rest of your life. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure, for sure. Like, and there's like, and everybody there has like stories like that. I mean, he was like the coolest dude. Yeah, that's that's incredible, man. Shout out, rest in peace to Anthony Bourdain for sure. Uh, yeah, man that that Henzo Gracie school, man. That's that's a a school full of killers, bro. I love. Um, do you follow Gordon Ryan on like social media? Uh, I had to stop. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, this this year. Yeah, I, I stopped, I think, like six or so uh, months ago because he just, he kind of went off the deep end. But but yeah, I've, he, I've never seen somebody like him, uh, like in terms of like just pure dominance uh, on the mat. I think he'll, I think he'll truly go down as the, like the single greatest, um, like probably the single greatest no-gi grappler of all time. I, I think so. Like I... I think it's crazy. I think he'll have that like locked up before he's thirty. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. I um, I was just reading just recently. He was going off on uh, uh, Andre Galveo, and he was trying to trying to pick a fight with him. And during the lockdown, I started uh, I started doing online jujitsu because uh, a lot of the gyms down here in Florida shut down uh, for quite a while. So I was doing jujitsu online, and I was doing uh, the Autos Jujitsu, uh, which which is Andre uh, Galveo. Um, and so I followed Andre on all social media so I can kind of like keep up with everything. And I, of course I'm following Gordon Ryan and a couple months ago, I'm just watching them go at it. And I was like, holy shit, like Gordon really just doesn't care. Like he, he doesn't, he just moved to Puerto Rico. I uh, seen that. Yeah. Which is yeah. like really funny. Yeah. I just seen that. The house looks really nice. Oh, I'm sure it's, it's gotta be like gorgeous. Yeah. It's super Super nice. Was his um uh uh Natalie, was she training with him at the time? I would see her once in a while, but like I, I didn't really see her like training. Like a lot of times a lot of times like I would go in for like seven AM classes and like the Death Squad guys would like show up around then. Um and so like John Donahue would like be like teaching both classes but it was like mostly just like him teaching the death squad guys and then like every 15 minutes he'd come over and be like do this and then he would just like go back um (laughs) but like those guys were training like nine or ten hours a day like minimum and so like typically during the like the classes where everybody was there they weren't really doing too much uh like they were like drilling some stuff but uh like the real training happened like after everybody left that makes sense. Yeah, I uh, I've been reading. She's apparently she's a bad mofo on the mats too. Apparently, I believe it. Um, Pete, this has been an absolutely incredible conversation, man, and I I really appreciate you coming on here. Uh, if anybody wants to find you after they listen to this podcast, where do they find you? All right, thank you so much, by the way, for having me. It's been super fun. I got to talk about like pretty much all my favorite stuff, which is very <laughs> exciting. My pleasure, uh, if- man. Yeah, no problem. If, so if you want to find me, uh, if you want to f- check out my podcast, go to ICanStealThat.com. 
or you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at I Can Steal That. Uh, we, we've got a lot of like, a lot of really fun episodes, uh, and I'm going to be releasing another one this week, and uh, I'm super excited about that. You can also just find me uh, on Twitter at It's Peter J, and Facebook and Instagram. Just search Pete Stegmaier, and, and you'll see me. Or or you can just search I Can Steal That, and I'm, I'm linked to those. Awesome, my man. This has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, once again, everybody, sponsors are Phone Soap. Go to phonesoap.com, use the code TAKEDOWN. Uh, check out quicksesh.io. Uh, all your computer troubles, quicksesh.io. We also are partnered up with Future Kimonos and Game Up CBD. The links are in the bio and also in the link tree. We also have merch for the TAKEDOWN, the weekly forecast and Rochambeau photos uh that link is in the bio as well once again i want to say a huge thank you to pete for doing this uh and have a good night all right thank you